You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Those are the announcements today. Let's turn our hearts towards hearing the words of the Lord through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. Where Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been freed, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. And of course, if you've been here over the past several weeks, you know we're in a series called Freedom. We're looking at um, how Jesus is our great rescuer and he leads us just like the people of Israel were led out of Egypt, out of their bondage, into a promised land. We are being led out of our slavery, our Egypt, into the life that Christ has promised us. And he is busy setting us free. And we've been uh, starting each one of these services with a testimony of what Christ has done because um, the Bible says that that's one of the ways we overcome the enemy. That's one of the ways we stay encouraged in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our bondage. And so I'm going to have Jack Devaney come up today, and he's going to share a testimony um, that very much aligns with where we're going today. And so take it away, Jack. getting old, Bill. <laughs> you know, I've, I don't remember exactly the, the day I got saved, but I know I was, I, I, I remember, I do know an event that told me that I was, and I knew it, and it was clear back in when I was in grade school, in vacation Bible school, actually. So I was quite young. I'm 67 now, so I've probably been dealing with this issue for most of my life. And it is the feeling of guilt. I've done something wrong. And and you can't shake it off. It's just like a tormenting demon. It just stays there. It never wants to leave you. It's like these chains that they just feel heavy on you. Okay, and then then I ask, okay, what did I do wrong? And I don't know. Or something from the past that I know I've asked God to forgive me. It comes up to my mind. Hey, well, I, I, he forgave me. His word says that. But the thing just won't go away. 
It's kind of like the song that we just sang. Um, boldly I approach when it says, when condemnation grips my heart. Do you know what I mean? When it grips your heart, you can't shake it. Mm-hmm. You just can't seem to get rid of it. It just haunts you and haunts you and haunts you. But over all, all these years, I begin to realize that God doesn't speak in generalities. When he says something to you because you're not doing something right, it's crystal clear. (laughs) He knows how to put his finger right on it, and you know exactly what he's saying, whether it's through a dream or a a Bible passage or a, a preached word or a teaching. I mean, God just makes it crystal clear. You just don't have any doubt about it. The devil comes along and just, or your own flesh, and just make you feel guilty, and you haven't got a clue what it is. It's just general, like, you know, I'm just, well, you know what that does to you? I know what it did to me. I get so desperate feeling this that it was just like, I'm such a rotten person. I might, God might as well just throw me into hell. Mm-hmm. But you know what happens at that point? Well, if I'm this bad, I might as well just do whatever temptation comes to me anyway because I'm rotten anyway. So what, why should I even want to resist anything? Well, that's, see, you see where that takes you? God wants us to know that we're really free and there's no condemnation. Mm-hmm. Something happened to me back in the 90s. Just a, it's just a little story, but I, I think it carries a point. <clears throat> I used to play church league softball, so I'm out the farm. I'm on my motorcycle, it's getting late, and I'm running to, to Sioux Falls on that cycle, driving 60, 65, and a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone up over a hill out in the country. Just as I got to the top of the hill, here comes the county sheriff the other direction. I watched his lights in the mirror, and they came on, the red lights came on. I pulled over to the side and just pulled over and just stopped there. I got my license out and my registration. I was just sitting there on the motorcycle when he came up. He started laughing his head off because he never had anybody just pull over and stop and wait for them before. He always had to chase them down. <laughs> He's, he said, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm just going to give you a warning. Then he asked if I had in, insurance on the thing, and I didn't. So he said, well, you're going to have to, I'm going to write you a tic- uh, warning out for that. You're going to have to go to court for that. So I went to the court, and this judge is all frustrated with the people before me because they were making all kinds of phony excuses, and he could see right through them. He called me up. And he said, uh, the first thing I said, I'm guilty. I didn't have insurance. You got it now, he said. I said, I handed him a piece of paper. Hmm, bought the very next day for the whole year. I said, go home, get out of here. <laughs> I was happy. No ticket, nothing to do with it because of the insurance, everything. I was free. My question is, and I'm questioning myself, but why did I believe that judge when I cannot believe the judge who says you're free because that's what he says what his word says and again I go back to that to that song I hear the voice that scatters fear and this has been a real struggle in my life the great I am the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul eternally. This isn't just about 
our life here on earth and how we live and all the things that we do. We were condemned and on our way to hell, the lake of fire forever. And God, through Jesus, intervened and said, no, I'll pay the price once and for all, for all eternity. Think of this. Your sin that you commit tomorrow has already been forgiven. If you can't handle that, then understand this. Jesus died almost 2,000 years ago to forgive your sin. You weren't even born, and yet you were forgiven. So every sin you've ever committed, ever will commit, or ever have committed has already been forgiven. You're not condemned. And God stamps our life with not guilty. That's what he's been working into my heart and working into me. And through a series of circumstances this last winter, I mean, I've made it known that I bought a, a pickup and a, mo and a camper and went, I felt so guilty all through that, thinking I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing this. And it was just like God was never speaking to me, but somehow inside of me, I just felt this is what God wants me to do. And through that, that battle of staying and holding it, and God always saying, yes, do this, do this, but never saying anything else to me, it began to realize this grace that is covering me, this peace that is coming to me. And I'm beginning here, 67 years old, begin to start overcoming the sense of guilt. Hmm. I'm not guilty. Amen. I'm not guilty. Yeah, I sinned. Yes, I did the things wrong, but I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty because Jesus paid for it. And I have to humble myself, and that's part of it. I have to humble myself and accept that fact. Amen. And I'll tell you what, it's a great weapon against sinful inclinations and temptations of, of many kinds. Because when you realize I'm not guilty, you don't want to sin. It, it, it enables you to fight against all the other things that come at you. The chains don't hold me. They're not there. They don't hold me anymore. I'm free. That's why I love the verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you didn't put yourself in Christ. For by his doing, you are in Christ. The law of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and of death. I'm free. Amen. I'm really free. Amen. And I can live in that freedom. And it's a relief. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a joy inside of me. And when I have that joy, I don't want to sin. I want to resist. I want to say no to the evil one. No to flesh. No to the world. Amen. Thanks, Jack. We honestly could have prayer and I'll go home right now and it would be just just fine, you know. And that was that thank you, Jack. Uh, some of you ha have talked to me in the office just even recently about just these feelings of condemnation and uh, the, the sense of shame that is ongoing. It just seems to perpetuate itself. And if you can just hear what Jack said today and grab a hold of that, uh, go back and listen to it on the podcast, all right? Because uh, he nailed it this morning. And uh, that, is, that is such a battle for so many of us as God's people, uh, to fight just this generalized sense of, 
of, of guilt and, and shame and condemnation and that sort of thing. Um, let's, let's continue this series this morning and let's start talking a little bit about grace. Grace is a word that we've been using throughout this freedom series and that we're going to continue to use uh, throughout the rest of the series. Uh, law is another word that we have used and will continue to use as, as we go along here. Uh, but let's talk about those two today as, as they are sort of very, very different. And, and, and I think a lot of times we don't quite understand them. Um, and so questions come about law and about grace to all of us. Um, and sometimes when we sit down with, with some of you, uh, or David and I even talk to each other about our own sin, uh, these are the words that, that come up, you know. And I think a lot of times the questions that really just, just like boil up inside of us are things like, uh, are, are grace and law, like, like do, are they opposed to each other or do they actually work together? Or how does this whole thing like sort of play out? And if we're under grace, do we still have to keep the law? Uh, and uh, so there, there's a lot of questions that will come. I may not be able to answer all of those today. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about this idea of grace and law. And I want to help us to move to that place of being able to, to understand what Paul is trying to say to us when he is really challenging us that uh, just because you are no longer under the law, that does not permit you to just continue to abound in sinful behavior, okay? Uh, but there is, there is a desire on God's part not only to make us righteous, but to to bring us into a, a righteous lifestyle where we are living, where we are not uh, willfully sinning all the time. We're not constantly going back into these repetitive cycles. We're not, not going back into these places where once again we, we are uh, inundated with the guilt and the shame because we, we failed in some capacity, we sinned in, in some way, uh, that sort of thing. So for a few minutes this morning, let's, let's look at what Paul is trying to say um, and, and talk about this just a little bit, okay? The first thing I want to do this morning with you is to talk about grace just a little bit here to tell you kind of what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor, all right? And it's a, it's a favor that, that nothing you've done gets it, all right? It's just a, a complete gift of God. And God bestows this favor upon all of us when we repent and we trust in Jesus. That's exactly what Jack said today, all right? When, when we repent of our sins and we turn and we begin to follow Christ and we trust in Christ for his forgiveness, we put our faith in him, uh, this grace is released over us, all right? It's not something that you go find the switch and you turn it on or it's not like a, a spigot and you want a, a good, fresh, clean cup of cool water to drink and so you turn it on and you just you just get it and then you turn it off it's not that way it's unmerited to you and you there's no action that you can participate in there's no work that you can do there's no accomplishment that you can achieve there's nothing that gets this it's unmerited it's it's simply when you come to God and you understand through your own uh, revelation and brokenness uh, by the power of God's Spirit that you are a sinner in need of this grace that it comes to you. And it does so just by simply you and I believing in Christ and, and uh, committing our lives to Him. Um, grace has been called this. It's been called God's riches at Christ's expense. 
In other words, this beautiful, beautiful love expression of God cost something dramatic, and that was the life of his son, Jesus. And so God has this, this wonderful, rich grace to give to us, this, 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 this amazingly valuable uh, favor for us, but it cost him his son's life to be able to do that. Um, and, and here's the thing, folks. If, if grace was merited, all right, then it wouldn't be grace anymore, all right? But it would be salvation by works. And that's exactly what it's not and, and, and not intended to be because no one is saved by works, all right? No one has the privilege or gets the opportunity to boast of their salvation. I remember a number of years ago, a, a gentleman came to me and he was a brand new Christian and he was part of a process of leading another man to, to Jesus and he was a, this guy was, was really a, a small little guy, uh, a neat guy, and, and uh, he always had issues with his own size, and he saw himself so little because he was such a, a petite little fella. And the guy that he was sharing Jesus with was this monstrous guy. He was just like huge. He was like 6'9", and he had shoulders as broad almost as he was tall, it seemed like. You know, he was just, just a big guy, and he'd been a, a weightlifter and a football player and all these kinds of things in the early years. But the later years took a toll on him, so did pizza. And so he was a bit bigger and robust in a lot of ways than he really needed to be, you know. So here's this, this, this really big guy, and then this, this little guy who's sort of, you know, needed to take some credit for some things in life, and he had been part of sharing Jesus with the big guy. And they came to the place where I worked because they were both in the advertising business, and I was in retail at the time, and they came in the back room where I was, and they, they were standing there, and the little guy looks at me, and he points at the big guy, and he goes, I saved him. And I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't do it. And he goes, yeah, I did. I saved him. I said, tell him. You tell him. I saved you. <laughs> and so we had a little lesson there in grace and, and salvation not by works and certainly not by the hands of other people, but by the expense of God's own son. And that's really where it lands, folks. It's not something that you and I can do for ourselves, and we cannot do it for one another, all right? Uh, we walk this path together, uh, but we cannot save each other, all right? And so it's not a, a case of being able to be saved by works at all. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of any merit or any, any work or any exercise of any kind. Uh, otherwise, grace would no longer be grace, all right? It would, it would void itself out, so to speak, okay? Uh, but Ephesians chapter 2, uh, well, let, let, first let me read to you Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, it says that, that if it is by grace, all right, then it is no longer on this basis that I just talked about of any kind of works. So, so there's really absolutely nothing, according to this passage of Scripture, that you can do to get saved, all right? Because we, we cannot do anything that would take away this aspect of it being unmerited, all right? That has to be attached to salvation. It is totally a gift. God wants to gift you. God, God's intent is to give you the salvation that you cannot get for your yourself. God's intent is to, to bestow upon you this grace that you do not deserve, 
the intent is for God to reveal to you how lavished his love is upon you, how much he loves you, that he would pour this salvation, this grace out on you without you being able to do anything or him expecting that you would do anything for it, all right? He wants to just give it to you, all right? So uh, we, don't, we don't want to let anything get in the way. And so what I want to, want to say to you today is stop working for it, all right? Stop trying to get something you can already have. Stop trying to get something you do already have. How many of you identified with Jack's testimony this morning? How many of you, yeah, you did some of that stuff, especially the guilt, okay, man, a lot, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's crazy how the enemy would love to continue to condemn us and say, you're not good enough. And, and in some strange way, that makes a lot of us then start to work for it all over again. All right. Even though you may have heard a sermon like what I'm preaching to you right now, and you are you, are you just read uh, Romans eleven six, okay? Uh, and and it's out there. It's it's right in front of you. But the reality is that because of this guilt or this shame or this condemnation, it comes right back on you, and so you you move right back into this works mentality, and some. How you start to try to add something, even if it's just a little thing, you know, you just want it, you just feel the need to add something to this complete work that God has already done. And so we go back into that working kind of mode. Uh, and, and it's so it's so wrong for us to, 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 to do that. And it's so unnecessary for you to fall back into that kind of thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. All right. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the only way. There's no, there's no other avenue. There's, there, you can't crawl over some fence and get in the ballpark, all right? There just isn't a way to do it, all right? You, you can look all day, you can search all night, but there's never going to be any other way. By grace, the grace of God, His unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith, all right? And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, all right? You just can't do enough to get. You, you know what? If it wasn't a gift, if God had not made it a gift, you and I would die and go to hell. We would, because there's nothing you can do to get it. That's how amazing it is. That's how, how unbelievably uh, beautiful this whole story is. All right, he's done for you what you could not do for yourself. Verse 9 says, it's not a result of works. And the reason is, if, if you and I did works to get saved, who would get the glory? We would. And we would make sure we did. Because that's the way we are. All right? And God's intent is that no one, matter of fact, the Bible says, he will not share his glory with anyone. So God's intent is that no one would be able to receive glory for what he has done, all right? Only God gets the glory. And so you and I cannot boast about this, all right? So there's no, there's no if you start putting those works in there, that's where it's going to go. Well, I did this and I did this. I read the Bible every morning. I prayed. I, I served at the soup kitchen. I did this. I did that. I attended church every Sunday. I, I went to Harp and Bowl every Monday. I, I went to Life Group every other week. I did this. I did that. I did. I did. I did. And it doesn't matter. Okay, now, 
It matters that you do these things because they're important for your life and for your spiritual development and for your discipleship. And God has called us as, as his people to go and make disciples. To be discipled and to make disciples is, is our lifelong work, okay? So it matters that you do these things, but it does not matter that you do them to be saved because they cannot save you. All right, everybody get that? That's so important. It's, it, it sounds simple in our heads when we hear it, uh, but the reality is we often go back into this deception that the enemy puts over us, and we continue to try to work it out in some way. But see, that's the good news for us because no one can possibly keep the law perfectly. It is, it, we, we are not able to keep a perfect law perfectly, okay? Uh, only Christ could do that, and he did. And so he kept the law for us who could not keep the law so that we could receive eternal life and this grace by faith. And so he was, he was able to come as we could not come to God. He was able to come to us and be that so that when he died, he died as a perfect sacrifice, a perfect substitution for you and I. Therefore, grace is released in the earth, and therefore you and I, by believing and coming to, to Christ and confessing our sin, are able to then receive that grace, all right? And it's done at that point. At that point, it is finished, all right? And so we don't have to work. We don't have to strive. We don't have to keep trying to make something happen. And, and I'm saying that over and over to you today. And I, we want to keep saying it over and over uh, as this series continues and, and even beyond this series. And I want you saying it to one another because for some reason we don't seem to get it real well. And the enemy tries to keep us from hearing it right. All right? And it gets all twisted up in this world of performance and expectations and, and, and work mentality. So we have to hear it over and over and over again. And especially in a series like this where we're talking about freedom. And I so appreciated, Jack, today how you said, you, you, you ended your testimony today um, with a declaration, I'm free. All right? Now, I know you really well because you share very intimately and have for years, all right, uh, your struggle. And it's interesting to me. Can I talk about you, Jack? Are you okay if I talk about you? Okay. Um, a number of years ago, Jack, Jack was, was searching. Now, now I, I don't want to embarrass Jack at all, but I, I, want to, I want to just tell you a little bit about Jack's heart. When, when he came into the church, he asked me how he could pray for me. Uh, and, and I told him how he could pray for me. And from time to time, I would sit down with him and talk to him about my struggles and, and my life, and, and he would take it seriously. Now, Jack took it so seriously that uh, he brought a little, a little, I think it was a, like a little mat or something, wasn't it? And Jack would literally almost camp out in the sanctuary of the church, and I would, I would be there sometimes, and he would be just laying on the floor in the sanctuary praying and agonizing and, and interceding and, and crying out for God. Not just for me, but, but for the church and for other people in the church as well. Uh, but Jack, Jack is a God that gets rest. You know, Jack can't stay on the mat too long. Jack, Jack's got to get up and move around. And sometimes Jack can't stay in town too long. Jack's got to get out of town. 
Uh, and sometimes Jack's got to get out of the state, you know, and he's got to get up in the mountains or, or go somewhere. That's just, that's just the way Jack's wired, okay? Uh, he doesn't stop praying. He just moves, all right? And, uh, and the beauty about Jack is he's like an old yard dog. He just comes back home, you know? You, 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 you always know he's coming home, okay? Uh, and uh, so... <laughs> So Jax, Jax he's, in the, he's in the church, and, and he's praying, you know, and he said, he, he came to me, and he said, Pastor, I got to go. I gotta, you, do you remember this, Jack? Yeah. This was an intense time in Jack's life and my life, too. And Jack's like, I got to go. I, I, I don't know where I'm going, but I got to go. You know, and, and he got in his, in his vehicle, and, uh, and that's another thing about Jack. You just never know what he's going to drive up in, you know. But, but he, he got in his vehicle he had at that, that time, and he took off. And I was like, I was a little bit, like, distraught. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Jack, I don't, know, I don't know where Jack's going. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to encounter. I don't know what's going to happen here, you know? And so I'm praying for Jack, and Jack's heading down the highways like Jack does, you know? And then I didn't hear from Jack. Like, Jack didn't call me and check in. And I didn't know where Jack was, and I didn't know what was going on. And then the phone rings at the church, and it's just before, I, I think it's just before church, and uh, I get this phone call, and Jack says to me, Bill. And I said, Jack, are you okay? And he goes, I'm so clean, I squeak. <laughs> <laughs> Jack found a revival down in Florida and got clean. I, I, he, and and God, God did some amazing things in Jack on that particular journey of his, okay? And, uh, and he came back home, and, and he was, he was in, in some ways dramatically impacted by that particular experience in his life, and he, and he, and he brought that home with him. And, um, and the amazing thing, though, was that Jack stands up here today and tells you that he's, he's 67 years old, and he's been battling this all along. Why do I say that? Why do I point out that Jack told me years ago that he was so clean he squeaks? But today he stands here and tells you that he's been battling for 67 years. Because I'm going to tell you, that is the life that we live. We are in a battle. We live a life where we will all fight. We will all struggle. We will all wrestle with powers and principalities and darkness and evil and, and, and all kinds of places. And a lot of that happens right up here in our own head. And Jack and I both will tell you, because I'm not far behind him in age, that we have battled. We battled we are battling, and we will continue to battle. But the reality is that we battle in the condition of we are free. We are free in Christ. Christ has already battled and won. And we live in that victory, the winner circle. All right, We live in that circle of Christ together with him because of the grace that has been given to us. We are able to battle, and we are able to, to overcome. We are able to win. And so it is, it's a, it is an ongoing process. You, you were saved when you believed in Jesus Christ. You are being saved as you are working out your salvation, and you will be saved, all right? All right this, is, this is the way it is, okay? So this is the good news that we have, all right, that we can't work for it, we can't earn it, we can't make it happen, all right? Now, I really believe that God led Jack down to that place where he encountered the Lord in a very powerful way, and, and that doesn't mean that you need to go get in your car or truck or van or motorhome or whatever and, and just take off, all right? Uh, but what it means is that God can lead you to him in unique and wonderful places, and that may be in the corner of your bedroom, you know, that may be in the garage, that may be here in this sanctuary, that may be in the pastor's office, it may be in any number of places, all right? But it isn't a matter of you got 
to go somewhere, you got to do something, you got to fix it, make it happen, create something or any of that. The grace is there. And God wants very much to reveal himself to you. And from our previous series, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient in every situation in which you will ever live. All right, so that's what grace is. Now, let me ask you a question, because I think this is a question that comes to many of us, and that is this. Is then the law void? Since we're under grace, does that mean that we don't have to worry about the law anymore? Big question, great question. Paul answers this question about the law, and he does so in talking to this church in Rome. In, in this passage that David started with today in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at that again. Just open your, keep your Bibles near that passage because we're going to go around it uh, a bit. But let's, let's, we're always going to kind of run back to that. Okay. But Paul asked the question. He says, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words... Is, is, that, is that the purpose here? Is, this grace is free, and, and, and so do, do, we just, do we just continue to sin so that there's more and more grace? By no means, he says. <laughs> no. No, that's not what I'm saying to you. That's not where I want you to take this. That's not the direction that you need to go in. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I think that's one of the best questions of all, all right? If you're dead to it, it's done, all right? It's done. And so you don't live in it, all right? It's not your habitat, all right? And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the wrestling that goes on. But what I want you to understand is it's not the place you live, all right? You, your identity is not one of, oh, he or she, they live in sin, all right? You're from Sioux Falls because you live in Sioux Falls. All right? Some of you are here because you're in a transitional place, like you who are college students. All right? Some of you, I asked you when I first met you, okay, where are you from? Thinking you would be from somewhere in the area. And some of you said things like, I'm from California. I'm not from Sioux Falls. And you said it in such a way as to let me know that I got the California thing going on. <laughs> Not pointing any fingers at anybody here in church today, okay? But just saying, all right? I got, I, I'm a California guy, all right? I got the California thing going on. That's, where I'm, that's my identity. That's where I'm from, all right? So none of you are going to stand up today and say, if I ask you, where's your spiritual home? Where's your, where's your spiritual habitat? None of you are going to stand up and say, oh, I'm from the house of sin, Right? All right? Now, the Bible says we are sinners, and we would have to say, yes, I sin. I am a sinner in the sense that I do sin. But I, that's not my house. That's not my habitation. That's not where I dwell. That's not where I live. I am from the house of grace. I live, I live in grace. I, I habitat there. I stay there. I dwell there. When I put my head down at night, I'm putting my head down in the house of grace because that's where I live and that's who I am. And it's a huge conflict. It's a, it's a huge mess when we are of the house of grace and we lay our head down in the house of sin. 
because that is not who we are. That's not where we belong, and we should know that when we lay there. There should be some kind of message that screams into the soul of our heart and mind to say, no, this is not where you belong. Get up and get out. And if it doesn't, then the red light should be flashing and going off and warning us that something is not right here. So Paul answers this question for us, all right? And Father, he says, well, what then? Are, are we to, to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? No, by no means, he says. These answers are with exclamation points. And, and if, if we study Paul just a little bit and we begin to, to grasp how passionate this man is and how adamant and how, how blunt and, and how strong and forceful his personality is. I'm going to tell you something. He said it loud and clear. He made sure everybody understood, all right? By no means do you do this this way. This is not the way you live as a person of grace, as a person of mercy, as a person who's known this compassion and this forgiveness of God. You don't live this way. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves? I, I love the qualifier there. Not just that you, not all slaves are obedient. <laughs> not all slaves are good slaves. Now, when I say that, I am in no way advocating slavery. Please understand that right now. We're talking about the terminology that God is using here in the Scriptures through the Apostle Paul, all right? All right? But what he's saying here, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? You get that? You are a slave of the one to whom you obey. Either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay? One or the other. He doesn't give any other options. You're one way or the other. All right? You, there are only two masters. Matter of fact, the scripture says that. You can only serve two. You can one of two masters. Right, so you're either going to be a slave of righteousness or you're going to be a slave of disobedience and death. All right? So then the question has to come to us like, okay, where, where, where am I then? Where, where do I land if that is the case? All right? And so um, well, let me just say it, and I, I want you to hold on to this. Just because... Just because we are not under the law, but under grace, doesn't mean that we are free to break the law, all right? You're not under the law. You're under grace, all right? So please understand that. But that doesn't mean that you are free now to break the law, all right? You're not. You're not free to break the law simply because grace has come and, and grace moves you away from being bound under 
the, the law, all right? The, the truth is that, that you and I should desire to obey God because, because we love him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. Okay? If you love me, that's, it's, it's predicated, all right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, the validation, the affirmation, the whatever, it, it, that, that says you love me, the proof of the pudding, all right? It, if you love me, you are going to be keeping my commandments. You're going, the, the mark of your life is that the majority of your time, you're going to be an obedient servant, Yes, you are going to sin. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to have screw-ups. Yes, these kinds of things are going to happen. But that's not the marker, all right? That, that's not what defines you. That's not what s- says who you are, all right? I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put you into a system where you can never achieve anything or you feel like you're just always a constant failure and then you're subject or open to that same kind of condemnation and guilt that Jack's been talking about, that vague kind of condemnation that just kind of sits there and just just paralyzes you and, and makes you feel like you can't get anywhere or you can't do anything. But I want you to understand that here in the Scriptures, love is equated with a desire to live an obedient life. Love and obedience go together. We should want to obey God because we love Him. And, and we, are, we feel indebted to Him because He has freed us from what literally is an eternal death penalty. All right? We deserve the law. But by grace, He took us out from under what we deserve. And he's given us eternal life. He's taken that penalty of death away from us. And so we live unto him. And we we follow him. We are are obedient to him out of that love and out of that gratitude and out of that appreciation. And and God, in, in bringing grace forth and bestowing grace upon us through the death of Jesus Christ, in no way voids out the law. He just removes us from under the law, if you will, all right? There's no way that God has done away with thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not bear a false witness and thou shalt not commit adultery and all those kinds of things, all right? That law is still in effect, all right? Very much so. But you've been, you've been moved out from under the curse of the law. The law is still good for you to understand what you need to not do and to understand when you do something that is sin. But you're not under that law. Because you're now under grace. And so now you live in a different approach to the law than what you did before. Because now, as Jack said, indeed, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, those who are in grace. All right? Well, then what is the purpose of the law? What is the the law for? Well, the commandments of God are intended to show us, um, well, they're intended to show us what sin is. Uh, And we wouldn't even know what sin was except by the law, 
All right? So that, that, the law has purpose. And, and, and John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, John, John writes that, that sin is transgressing the law. He says there, because everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is, see, this is what separates us from God is sin. Sin, lawlessness separates us from God, all right? And so the law, the law has purpose, but because of Christ, you are in a different place. You have a different approach to the law, all right? And, and just, but, but here, you got to understand that just because the law has been lifted, that doesn't mean that, that we don't strive to obey it as much as humanly possible. We do, we have to, we need to, and we can only do that by the power of the Spirit of God. And even with that, because of humanity and because of the, the weaknesses of your flesh, you are going to have failures. You are going to have places where you, you miss it, where, where you sin. We're going to grace that. We're going, we're going to understand that, all right? But that doesn't mean we stop challenging, calling out, confronting, encouraging, building up, cheering each other on because we don't have to live in that place. And the idea is that because that is not our abode, we get up and get out of there as quick as possible. And the beauty is that God says that wherever there is a temptation, there is a way of escape. Our problem is we wait until after the temptation fulfills itself in sin to look at how do we manage this now. But because we are under grace and the power of the resurrection is for us, we said that last Sunday, okay? And that's where we're at now, is that we're living in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Therefore, that power offers us an ability to escape, and God gives us an avenue of escape. Therefore, we need to be people who are discerning enough to live in such a way that we are looking for the escape before the temptation ever comes. And if our heart is such that I love God enough that I want to obey Him so I don't want to sin, we're going to position ourselves in such a way to have that kind of mentality that I don't want to be a sinner, and so I'm going to look for the way out before the way in ever appears. And so we live a life of righteousness. We, we live a, a life that is desirable to please God and to love God. And this is where, this is where we must have this gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, for, for, the, for the sacrifice of Christ because see, First uh, John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. All right? In Jesus, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Ouch, this is where it gets hard, folks. This is where it gets blunt, but this is the truth of scriptures, and you can't pick and choose. We can't just love the grace passage. we got to love this passage that tells us who we are and identifies us. If we belong to Jesus, we, we, we stop this sinning. 
You say, well, you just said I'm a sinner and and I can't be perfect. You can't, but you don't have to be a person who is willfully, continually going after sin. Let me tell you something. You cannot stand up as a Christian, as a believer, and confess and say, well, I'm going to have sex with someone. I'm going to to do this. I'm going to lie in this situation. I'm going to cheat this person and, and claim to be a Christian and be one. You can't do that, folks. None of us can. None of us have that privilege or or that right to do that. We we must be a people who are being convicted. We were convicted with the intent of accepting Christ. That, That conviction moved us to accept Christ, all right? But we are we need to be consistently being convicted so that we can live out this righteousness of God. But that's on you, that's on me, that we understand and perceive and acknowledge this conviction in our lives that exposes sin, and then we respond appropriately to that. And, and, and the law helps us to, to be able to, to do that, all right? But, it, but you, you cannot make it a practice of continuing to sin because that is of the devil, the Bible says. 1 John 3, 8 and 9, he says there that, that, that no one born of God makes this their practice. They don't, they don't intentionally do this consistently over and over, all right? Why? Because the seed of God is in us. Christ is is in us. The Spirit is in us. And if that is true, we cannot continually, intentionally be sinning the same sins all the time. It doesn't make sense. It's not right. All right? And you got to be honest about that. Where are you? Where is your sin? Where does it it rest? And, And do you have any control over it? Or is it totally controlling you here? I I want you to be people of grace. I want you to have this grace and this mercy in your life. I want you to be free from being a slave to sin so that you are are no longer there, all right? We are not sinless by any means, but we strive to sin less. The Apostle Paul says in in Romans 7, I think it's 18 and 19, he he talks about, "I, I, I have... I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I want to do what's right. I don't do the good I want to do, but I I do the evil I don't want to do. And and that evil I don't want to do, I seem to keep on doing. And so I'm wretched. (laughs) I'm, I'm a wretched man. But at the same time, he also declares that, that I have died to my flesh. And Paul even goes on to say, I, I flog myself in one translation. I, in other words, I beat myself down. And not literally, physically, but, but in, in the spiritual sense, I, I crucify my flesh. I put my flesh down. I do something to me that says I am obedient to Christ. And even though I have this war, this battle going on inside of me, I continue, I continue to try to live in the house of grace. 
and I keep myself as far from the house of sin as I possibly can. There's a passage of Scripture. There's actually, there's two. One is in Exodus 21. These are Old Testament passages. One is in Exodus 21, and one is in Deuteronomy 15. And at some point during the week, maybe you, you, you want to just look them up and, and read a little bit about them, all right? Um, but these are passages that talk about and, and actually give instructions um, for making a regular slave into a bond slave, all right? And um, uh, I, I, I was reading the writings of one rabbi, and uh, he points out that it's, it's really interesting that right after the Ten Commandments, when, when God launched into his law here, that, that this is one of the very first things he says in Exodus chapter 21. Um, and this is what he says there. He says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. <laughs> but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, and my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. It's a dramatic picture, if you will. All right, so right after this very dramatic exodus from slavery in Egypt, God tells them that the first thing you should know about slaves is that they should go free, period, for nothing. And that the, the Hebrew people uh, should not be indefinitely enslaved. Now, they've just come out of the slavery of Egypt, so they're understanding uh, this, this message that's coming across here, all right? all right? But they need to be offered a chance to go free after this, this limited time of service. And, and that this, the slave might actually choose to stay out of love for the master but that shouldn't be, it has to be a matter of free choice. It has to be the choice of the slave, not the master. Otherwise, it's not a free choice. All right? Now, if you, if you look at Deuteronomy, it reiterates this same thing. Let me read that to you. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year... You shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. But... If he says to you, the slave, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household. Since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and you shall put it through his ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. Why piercing? Why a door? Why an ear? I mean, you know, these are, these, aren't these just unique things? And they're so intriguing. It does seem like this is a really strange ceremony, but I think this is, is evident 
throughout scriptures, if you, if you just get behind this and you begin to look at it a little bit, you start to see some really wonderful things. And, and I, I would like to just bring a little bit of that out to you as we're closing today, okay? Take, take the principal idea here to start with. Nails driven through flesh. Blood on door frames. Permanent piercing. Holes and scars forever. Does it sound familiar? You start to see the picture. Get it? Why piercing? The process was this. The slave who for the, the reason of just sheer love wished to continue to serve his master voluntarily, he would be taken to the door frame, all right? There's a, there's a, a, a Hebrew word for that. Um, but, but it's a place that is used to bore a hole, all right? It's in, in, the, in the frame of the door. And, and it's only used in, in, in these two descriptions in the Bible where I, I referenced out of the Old Testament. Uh, but there they would pierce or they would bore a hole uh, through the skin of the earlobe, all right, marking the flesh permanently, all right? Now, we're not talking a needle. We're talking an awl. It's a big thing, okay? And it's like a great big nail. And so it leaves a very definitive marking. It leaves a, a scarring, if you will, all right? It, it leaves a place that's obvious, all right? So, so it's not like, you know, in the, in the 70s, in the day, 60s, early 60s, late, early 70s, late 60s, I guess it was, in, in my era of uh, bell-bottom blue jeans and peace symbols and long, beautiful hair and all that kind of stuff, guys were starting to get their ears pierced and everybody was freaking out, you know. And so my mom's very curious about all of her 11 brothers and sisters and their, uh, her nieces and nephews, and, and she didn't want me having a pierced ear, and she was looking at all. And so every, every week when everybody came to our house for dinner, because that's the way it was, everybody came to our house, and, and as, as the, the, the nephews and the nieces would come through the door, she would, she would be going, Hey, how are you? You doing all right? And especially the guys. She was, she, she was just waiting for one of them to pierce their ear, you know. But you had to look for it. You know, you didn't just find it easy, all right? Because it was done, it was done in a sophisticated way with needles. No, this is, this is an awl. This is a, 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 a big piece of metal that is hammered into the ear against the doorpost, all right? And, and it's, it's, it's not a pretty sight. But the intent was for it to be visible. That scar represented something, and it was to be visible. Paul said in Galatians, I carry the scars of Jesus on my own body. And that word he uses there is the word stigma. The, the, the primary meaning there is to stick, to prick. It's a, it's a mark that's incised on the body. In this case, on, on the ear. It's punched. Punched for recognition of ownership. Figuratively speaking, it was called the scar of service. It was a mark. The description continues on. It says, a mark placed in or branded upon the body. 
In, 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 in this ancient usage, slaves and soldiers both bore the name or the stamp of their master. Whoever their master was, they bore some representation of the master. And Paul here is talking about scars, marks, stigmas, if you will, of his own body that mark him out as a bond slave to God. But God also has permanent scars. His scars also came from having his flesh pierced on wood. It was the result of love. It was a willing submission to serve, all right? Not by my will, Jesus says, but yours, Father. Let your will be done. The Son of Man came not not to be served, but to serve others. This, This whole God thing is an ultimate servant expression, if you will, and, and, and the scars of Jesus Christ are glorious scars. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that God came to take you out of slavery to sin. He did everything that was necessary, and he did it. He accomplished it. He gave his son, as we always say here, to do what you could not do for yourself. And he made you free. But you see, in accepting that freedom, we are like a servant who is now having the opportunity to be a bondservant. We're not serving the same master. Let's make that very clear. But what we're saying is, I'm going to serve God. And I'm going to bear the mark of that. And so we are very much the bondservant. We're the one who says, you know what? I'm going to stay with you, God. I'm going to stay with you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you. And so I I bore out my ear, spiritually speaking. I put the all to the doorpost, all right? I I shed the blood, if you will. I, I do that, spiritually speaking, because I am now a servant of the Most High God. I am now a follower of Christ. So I I willingly give myself to do that. And I want the mark of that. I want the stigma, if you will, of serving God. I want to be one who is with Christ. And so I don't go back and live over here in this house of sin. I don't stay over here because something's happened to me. I, I laid my life down spiritually at the doorpost of Almighty God. And I let him bore out my ear to give me the sign and the symbol, the scar, the stigma, whatever it costs me, I will do it because I am I am of the house of grace. I am of the house of Jesus who has died for me and saved me and done what I could not do for myself. And I live there and I don't have to earn it. I don't have to do anything for it. It's freely given to me. And because my freedom has been given to me, I give myself to be an obedient slave to righteousness from this day forward. That's where you and I live. That's the house that we live in. And that freedom is yours today to have and to hold for eternity because of this great love of Jesus Christ. If you, maybe you haven't heard that before. Maybe you don't understand that or haven't understood it in the past. You can do it today. You can be set free today. You can live as a bondservant today. Maybe your life has been uh, some other way, but today you can turn. Today you can live in that place. Melissa's going to come and she's going to just explain. She's going to just parse out and lay out how to know Jesus today and how to do this, all right? And when she's done, she's going to pray for you. If you want to stay and be prayed for, some of us can pray for you. Otherwise, you'll be free to go after that. But just listen to to Melissa now. When I think about 
going back to where we were in darkness. It's like being in a really deep hole. And you kind of realize you're down there. And you're like, well, I got to get out, but I can't reach the top. So you start digging. And you keep digging, and, but there's no way out of that hole. That's what living in sin is like. Yeah. There's no way out. Until the point that you realize you can't do it on your own. And you call out. And we call it to Jesus. And he can pull us out. Mm-hmm. Because he came uh, as a man. And he lived a perfect life. And he died the death and joined you in that hole in, in being dead in sin. But then what was different was he was resurrected. And he pulls, up, pulls us up out of that hole. And he gives us the freedom to walk with him. And then you start walking around. You're on solid ground. Um, and the Holy Spirit comes and helps you navigate around other holes that are there too. And that's what it is to be rescued by Jesus and to start following him. And so if, you're willing, if you haven't done that yet, today's a chance. There'll be a, the prayer team's going to come up, and they're, they're going to help you walk through that journey of meeting Jesus. Or if you have other needs, come and be prayed for as well. But you say yes to him. You cry out to Jesus and you say, help, I'm in this hole and I can't get out. I need you to rescue me. Um, So I'm going to pray. And like I said, if you need prayer today, if you want to say yes to Jesus, there will be people here to pray with you um, or any other needs you have. And then you are free to go. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to pull us out of the darkness, to pull us out of our sin. Thank you that you help us to walk next to you and with you. And so I pray today that you would help us to walk in grace, to learn to walk with you according to your commands, and to make disciples of others. We just thank you for your freedom and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.